The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Philippians chapter number four is where we're going to be this morning for our text reading. Before we dive into our message today, how many of you maybe have a particular phobia? Anybody have a phobia? Maybe something you're afraid of heights or you're afraid of spiders. Am I the only one? You have a phobia, something you wrestle with, something that scares you just a little bit. Uh, I have a particular phobia that honestly my wife makes fun of me about, about every once in a while, but I come by it honestly. You say, you say what, what do you have an irrational fear about? Uh, the reality is I, I kind of have a little bit of an irrational fear um, around dogs. Why are you afraid of dogs? Let me tell you the stories. Uh, when I was uh, 11, 12, 13 years old, I used to have a paper route. I would deliver the Fresno Bee. I would get up about 4.30 or 5 every morning, and I would deliver papers. And I did that for several years. And over the course of those years, while I was still in my formative season of maturity, the reality is I got chased and uh, attacked and bitten by dogs on several different occasions. And ever since then, it just kind of gets in my head. Uh, I remember one time I was uh, riding up to Miss Lori's house, and I rode up to the house. She used to have this dog named Max. He was a big old boxer. And every morning, he would slam himself up against the window, just scare me to death. And Max never attacked me, so I was thankful for that. But I remember going around the corner one day, and I was on a little bicycle. It wasn't even my bicycle. It was my little brother's bicycle. And I was really little, and the reason I would ride this little tiny bike is because it was easier to maneuver. When I'd ride up the sidewalk, I could flip it around and then ride away from the sidewalk. And so I was riding this very little, probably a bike that was made for a five or six-year-old, and it was just enough so I could get around from here to there. And I would have this bag, and I'd have papers in the front and papers in the back, and, and sometimes I would ride this little bike. And I remember on one particular day, I rode up to this house, and I, I threw a paper on their porch, and as I was riding away, I saw this sign. Now, maybe you've seen these before. It said, beware of, you know the next word is? Dog. All right, beware of dog. And I knew that a dog had lived there because I could hear it bark every morning when I would go up to this house. And, and I don't know what was different about the morning, this particular morning, but somehow, I'm not sure if there was maybe a pile of wood or something that the dog climbed up on in the backyard, but for whatever reason, that particular morning, as I rode up to the house, this dog leapt up onto the fence, and I could see its front paws come over the fence, six-foot fence, and its paws are hanging over, and it's just growling, and it's barking. It's, I could tell this thing's angry, and I, man, it's like a German shepherd, mutt-type dog, and it's hanging over there, and I'm thinking, man, I'm getting out of here. I start riding away, and as I look back, this dog was shimmying over that fence, and sure enough, it got to the other side, and it just started chasing me. Now, you could imagine what I look like riding this little kid's bike as fast as I could. My feet are spinning like this. I'm running, riding as fast as I can, and this dog is snipping at the back of my bag, and there was, I just wanted to do everything that I possibly could to get away from that dog, but I remember that sign, beware, and you know what? They were honest. At least they, at least they told me in advance that I should beware of dogs. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 12, verse number 15, uh, the Holy Spirit makes a statement that I think is important for us to understand. It doesn't say beware of dogs. Here's what the Bible says. It says beware of covetousness. Beware of covetousness. Just like a mean or angry dog will bite you, What we're going to see today is that this thing called covetousness, the reason that we are warned about covetousness, the reason the scriptures say beware of covetousness is because just like an angry dog will bite, can can I say this? 
covetousness will bite you too. So we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. We're currently in a sermon series entitled Taking Inventory. Taking Inventory. Uh, In this particular series, we're discovering how an individual's worldview, that is their beliefs and their values, the way they perceive the world around them, we're discovering how an individual's worldview has a massive influence on their everyday behavior. Specifically, and in this series, we're looking at an individual's worldview of finances and money. We're asking ourselves the question, how, how should we as believers, how should we as Christians, how should we view finances? How should we relate to money? How should we perceive our income and, and all these things that pertain to finances? You see, God's word has a particular way in which he wants us to view money. He wants us to see finances, and, and that's what we're doing today. So today we're continuing that series with a sermon on contentment, on contentment. And we'll unpack a little bit more in a moment as to why. If you're visiting with us today for our second service, uh, we're so glad to have you as our honored guest. In fact, on your way in, you should have received a service program guide. And inside of that, there's a little connection card. We call it a connection card. It's a little card that you can fill out. We'd we'd love to have a record of your attendance. And uh, later on in the week, I'll I'll send you out some stuff, give you a little bit more information about the church, answer any questions that you might have. And so I hope you'll take the opportunity to fill that out. Uh, For the rest of you, there is a Bible study guide that I want to encourage you just to use as we're working through our Bible study in Philippians chapter number four. Um, One announcement that I do need to make before we do get into our Bible study is uh, in just a couple weeks from today, we are going to have what we call Celebration Sunday. Uh, Typically every year here at the church, we have what we call like a vision banquet. And on a Sunday evening, we'll gather together and just celebrate what God's doing and and get a vision for what God wants to do in the months ahead. And and we're not going to do a vision banquet this year in the same manner, but we are going to have a Sunday morning where we gather together. We're going to celebrate Jesus. We're going to just thank God for his sacrifice made for us. And then we're going to look ahead on how we as a church family can really be a part of what God wants to do in our lives and through our lives going forward. And so we're going to do that on a Sunday morning. Uh, We're going to combine both services. We're going to take the early service and the late service. We're going to combine them together. And so I just want to make that announcement. I want to make you aware of that. Celebration Sunday, the last Sunday of March. I think it's March 31st. And we're looking forward to just the gathering together. And I hope all of you uh, will put that on your calendar to be a part. It's a service you will not want to forget. For those of you who are physically able, I'd like you to stand as we begin reading from our text, Philippians chapter number four. Verse number 11, to give you some context on this passage, this was written by the Apostle Paul. The book of Philippians was written to the church at Philippi. What's interesting about this particular book is that when the Apostle Paul was penning it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's a lot of scripture about being uh, having joy in the Lord and, and just how we can, how we can abound in, in God's grace. And, and what's interesting about it is even though the Apostle Paul is so positive and he's so upbeat, it, it's interesting to note that this entire book was literally written from a prison cell. He, he wrote this entire book from a, from a dungeon of sorts. And so as we read this, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. I want you to picture this in your mind's eye. As the Apostle Paul, under the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is penning this out, I want you to remind yourself, he's in a a dark, dirty dungeon. These are the words that he pens. The Bible says in Philippians chapter number 4, verse number 11, 
not that I speak in respect of want. He says this, what I'm about to say, I'm not saying because I want something. I'm satisfied, I'm content. Notice what he says. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He goes on to say in verse number 12, he says, I know both how to be abased. I, I know how to suffer, he's saying. I know how to be put down. I know, I know how to experience failure. And he goes on to say, and I also know how to abound. I know how to be successful. I know how to, I know how to live life in a way that honors God even in my successes. He says, everywhere and in all things, I am instructed. He says, the Holy Spirit teaches me both how to be full and how to be hungry. Both how to abound and to suffer need. Notice verse 13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. This morning, I want to speak on this subject of contentment in Christ contentment in Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask that he'll bless our Bible study as only he can. Shall we pray? Dear gracious and heavenly Father, we are so grateful and we are so thankful for your sovereignty in our lives. We're thankful for your rich blessings, for your goodness and grace upon us. And even those of us who are going through some struggles, whether it be financially or whether it be with work, Lord, we still want to affirm that we believe that you are good and that you are filling us with your blessing and grace, even in the midst of these seasons. So, Lord, I pray that you would teach us what you taught the Apostle Paul when he learned how to be content in both success and in, and in failure, that, that you would give us your spirit of contentment, your spirit of satisfaction, and your spirit of fulfillment as only your grace can do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen, and you may be seated. Before we begin today, I, I want us to be aware, first of all, of the seriousness of covetousness, all right? This is part of our introduction, the seriousness of covetousness. Now, I realize covetousness is not a word that we often use in our modern vocabulary, so let me define it for just a moment. The word covetousness simply means an, an inordinate desire or an inordinate craving for wealth or possessions that do not currently belong to you. That's the textbook definition of the word covetousness. Uh, in a modern sense, we might use the word materialism. Materialism. What's, what's materialism? Materialism, at least from a biblical perspective, is, is craving more for yourself than God's will has made available to you in this moment. And what we're going to see as we study the scriptures is that again and again, the Bible says, beware of covetousness. Beware of this materialism. One uh, theologian, as I was reading this week, he said this, of all the vices found in this world, of all the things that we as humanity struggle with, covetousness is one of those things that are most hard to identify in ourselves. Greed is a really hard thing to see in us. Covetousness is really hard to identify when we ourselves are, are wrestling with it. 
But I want you to see the seriousness of covetousness. Uh, a study was done several years ago, and, and this group of uh, people decided to get some folks together, and they were going to ask some questions. And they were doing a study of sorts. They were going to do a poll. And, and here's what the poll was. They, they took three groups of people, and they asked them this question. How much money would you need in order to be content and satisfied? That was the question. Seems pretty simple. But here's what they did that was a little different. Instead of just asking people randomly, they asked a group of people who made about $25,000. They asked another group of people that made about $50,000. And they asked a third group of people that made about $100,000. And they went to each of those groups and they said, how much money would you need in order to be satisfied, in order to be content? Here, here's what they found really, really interesting. From the group that made roughly about $25,000, basically, when they averaged out what they said, the average amount was about $54,000. So this group of people who made $25,000 said, you know what, if we made $54,000, we'd be satisfied. We'd be totally content. We'd be utterly fulfilled. That, that's all it would take. $54,000, we'd be happy. That sounds interesting. All right, it makes sense. Then they went to the group that made $100,000. And they said, same question, how much would you need in order to be satisfied, in order for you to be content? You think, man, $100,000, you probably could be content with that. Here's what was interesting. From that group of people, the average amount, as they weighed it all out, they found for this group that it would take about, for them, from their own words, about $194,000 for them to be content and to be satisfied. Here's what they found as they did the study. For each of the groups... No matter if they made $100,000 or, or $25,000, they found that it took roughly twice the amount of money for that group to be satisfied and content regardless of where they found themselves. The Bible says it this way, the eyes of man are never satisfied. The reality is, as, as humanity, we all struggle with covetousness. We all, whether we want to admit it or not, myself included, there's something in our heart that causes us to wrestle with just a little bit of greed, with wanting and, and craving and, and lusting for things that are outside of God's present will for our lives. This is why Je Jeremiah chapter number 45 verse 5 says this, Jeremiah the prophet asks a rhetorical question, he says, seekest thou great things for thyself, question mark? Seekest thou great things for thyself? He says this, seek them not. Now, I want you to understand here, the, the scriptures are reminding us, we have to be very careful about what's going on in our heart. We have to be very careful with just always having a heart posture, a state of being that's always craving and longing and desiring and hungry and thirsty for more. That is to say, we need to be very careful. We got to beware of covetousness that we don't get to a heart posture that says, I can only be happy. I can only be satisfied. I can only be content. I can only be fulfilled if this happens or if that happens. And can I say this? We're not just talking about finances today. We're not just talking about money. It might be that there's some people here and we need to come to a place where we, get, where we become content with our season of life. Maybe you're single here today and 
Man, more than anything, you just, you just want to find that perfect someone and, and you just want to be married. And, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to be married. There's nothing wrong with wanting to find that significant other. But here's, here's, what, here's what contentment would teach us. Contentment would say, be careful. Be careful that you in your heart don't come to a place where you say, I can only be happy if I'm married. I can only be satisfied if I have that significant other. I can only be content if God gives me that individual. Because that then crosses over to covetousness. It crosses over to this lust and this craving and saying, I can't be satisfied with God's present will for my life because I need more. It might be in your, your health. And you might be in a situation in God and His sovereignty, and this moment's allowing you to struggle with something, even physically. And I'm here to say this there, there might be the Holy Spirit of God is saying, learn to rest in that moment. Now, here's the tension with this. And I, let me give one caveat because I think it's really important for us to understand this to move forward. There is a tension in the contentment idea. And, and here, here's where the tension lies. The Bible often speaks of growing. If you're sick, then maybe, maybe God would have you use the doctor's wisdom to do some things to, to start to heal your body. Here's what the scriptures are teaching us, though. Even while we will attempt to grow and, and attempt to do some things that will, you know, kind of, make, whether it's at our work and we're trying to grow our career or whether we're trying to get healthy or we're trying to get married, the reality is the, the, our heart posture even in that growth, even in that development, our heart posture should be one of contentment. Our state of being should be one of satisfaction. The position of how we're engaging it should be rest. And from that posture of the heart, yes, we, we might try to grow. And, and from that posture of serenity, we might try to develop and advance in our career, but it should always be done from a posture of our soul that is at rest with where God has placed us in that moment. There might be some people here, and the reality is you just need to rest. You need to be at peace with the spouse that God put in your life. Because it's really easy to start thinking, man, if I just had a different spouse or if they just did things differently, then I could be happy, then I could be satisfied, then I could be at peace. Rather than saying, you know what, God, I'm going to be at rest with where your sovereign will has allowed me to be in this moment. In regards to money, covetousness and materialism will lead to some things in our lives. And this is why the scriptures say, beware of covetousness. As I've done counseling with individuals, and I've found that oftentimes this, a root of covetousness will, will lead to some overspending in people's lives. Real practical. People have some covetousness. They, they kind of crave more things or nicer clothes or bigger house or shinier cars. Nothing intrinsically wrong with any of those things. But if we're not careful, that, that root of covetousness if we're not careful, if God didn't provide the means or the career or didn't provide the resources in order to make that a, a wise purchase in that moment, the reality is all of a sudden, before we know it, that, that covetousness will lead to some overspending. Over, uh, that covetousness can lead to, to getting into debt. That's why we got to beware of it. Covetousness will bite. It'll bite our finances. It'll, it'll bite us if we're, if, we're not, if we're covetous in our relationships. I, I, I need to be married to that person. I, I need to have that job. It'll bite. 
We're warned, hey, beware of covetousness. It'll lead to debt. In some cases, uh, it'll lead to bankruptcy. It was Croft Pence who said this, people get into debt trying to keep up with people who already are. Man, we want to be careful of covetousness because it has practical ramifications. Um, now, I, I want to say this. Not all debt and all bankruptcy has its roots in covetousness. I'm not trying to make a broad, blanket, dogmatic statement. I realize there are probably outliers and exceptions to that. But I will say, generally speaking, generally speaking, when people get into a lot of you know, consumer debt, got a lot of extra debt on their credit cards, a lot of times, whether we want to admit it to ourselves or not, a lot of the reason that happens is because of a heart of covetousness. And we want to let the Holy Spirit of God shine a light on that and reveal that if that's something that's happening in our soul and in our lives. I've seen where this now, where there's covetousness and desiring more to buy more and have more, oftentimes it'll lead to marriage frustrations got a husband and a wife who are arguing about finances because he spent too much on his hobby and she spent too much at the mall and they they just all of a sudden that desire and greed and craving for more and more and more financial tension on the relationship it leads like i said earlier it can lead to financial instability in families and some of us grew up in families and we just, we just never knew where the next meal was going to come from and it was just all financially unstable. And, and maybe for some of us the reason was there was, just, there was some unwise spending, some unwise financial practices being exhibited by our parents. And it just made, a lot of, made for a lot of instability. It also keeps people from being able to follow God in, in radical generosity. You see, God calls us to be generous. He calls us to be wise stewards, and we can't do that. We can't be generous, and we can't be giving. Why? Because our covetousness has caused us to spend all our money on these other things, and when it comes right down to it, we no longer have for what God calls us to give to. And it it founds its roots in, in covetousness. Now, I know sometimes people would say, no, 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 Pastor, you don't understand you say, for me, I, I, yes, I got into consum- consumer debt, and, and, and yes, I put maybe too much on my credit card, but you don't understand. It was, I, I had to go, man, my kids were sick, and I had to go to the urgent care, and I had, I had some medical bills, and I understand there's some, there's some very, you know, real aspects to that, but, but here's, the, here's the perspective of wisdom that I would say. We live in a broken world, okay? This is a fact, and every one of us, every one of us are going to have seasons where things break, where emergencies happen, where people get sick, where cars break down. Can I say that? that? Those things are not outliers. It happens to every single person in this room. We can't be the type of people that are like, what? I can't believe my car broke down. Like what? No, it happens to all of us. And biblical wisdom would say, you know what? If there is a little bit of extra, I'm going to set that aside in an emergency fund. I'm going to be a wise steward. I'm going to save. Why? Yes, I feel like, oh, I've got some extra money. Let's go spend it. Well, if we don't have that emergency fund, if we've not put away some savings, the reality is we might spend in a spirit of covetousness that's subtle rather than being wise in that moment and saying, you know what? Maybe I should follow some of the wisdom found in the Proverbs and I should save knowing that there's probably going to come a moment where life will happen because it happens to all of us. 
And one of the reasons why maybe we can't follow the Lord's leading and we can't be generous is because we have these moments where it's like, oh, I've got money, I'm going to spend it. But now when I have an emergency, I've got to put that on a credit card. And God gives us wisdom for that. 1 Timothy chapter number 6, verse 10 says this. It says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, notice what it does not say. I, I, a lot of non-believers misquote this passage. It does not say money is the root of all evil. There's nothing wrong with having money. Nothing wrong with having savings. Nothing wrong with having things. Money's uh, not the root of all evil. It isn't. What's the root of all evil? The love of it. The craving for more. The lust for just a little bit more. That covetousness, that greed, that lust becomes the root of all evils. Now, here's what the Bible says. It gives us a warning. I want you to see this. While some coveted after, I don't know if that's back up there. While some coveted after, notice this, what happens when, when there's that covetousness that starts to creep up in our souls? Notice what it says, because of it, some err from the faith. This is, this is important. Do you realize that maybe even in this room, there are some who no longer can align with biblical principles because of their covetousness. They can't be wide stewards. They struggle to save. They struggle to be generous. They struggle to be faithful to God's wisdom and God's word. Why? At the root of it, for many people, the Bible says the root of a lot of it is because of greed. It's covetousness. It's discontentment. Not only do some err from the faith, they're, they're not able to follow biblical principles because of it, but notice this. This is probably the hardest part. It says because of this love, this covetousness, it says some have even pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Maybe you're here today and you're just like, oh man, you're feeling this financial pressure. The reality is this. One of the reasons, one of the reasons why the Word of God tells us to beware of covetousness and, and to beware of the love of money and just this craving and, and lusting for a little bit more here and a little bit more here because those people, they will pierce them through with many sorrows. And God doesn't want that for you. God has something better for you. One theologian said it this way, don't waste your time with a materialistic attitude. Why? Because your heavenly Father knows exactly what is best for you, and He is committed to deliver it. You have a heavenly Father that cares about you. He loves you. He wants the best for you. So we see, first of all, today, I want you to notice the seriousness of covetousness. It's a serious issue and one that we as believers, we've got to wrestle with, and we've got to let the light of God's Word maybe expose some things in our hearts and reveal to us what's going on in our life because it's a serious thing. Beware of covetousness because covetousness can bite you. It can hurt. But now as we dive into our text, I want you to see, second of all, the, what, the solution. What, if covetousness is a problem, I want you to notice the solution. The solution is contentment. The seriousness of covetousness, but I want you to see here, the, the solution is contentment. Notice verse, notice verse here, number 12. The Apostle Paul says, I know both how to be abased 
And he says, I know how to abound. He says, the Holy Spirit has taught me through, God's word has taught me. He says, I know, I know how to honor God when, when things are going well. I know how to honor God with my finances and I know how to honor God with my stewardship when I've got lots of money and things are going well and I'm being successful. God's taught me how to navigate success in a way that would glorify God. He says, I know how to abound, but notice what else he says, but I also know how to be abased. Yeah, when things are hard, when things are difficult, I also know how to go through those moments and still bring glory to God. He says, everywhere and in all things I am instructed. This is something that the Holy Spirit had to teach the Apostle Paul. He says, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. And the Apostle Paul had to learn how to navigate both of these extremes with a proper heart posture because both of these things can be difficult for a believer. We can struggle with glorifying God and honoring his word when everything's going bad, but did you know you can, you can struggle when everything's going good? There's some believers, and when things are going well in their life and they're being financially successful and things are cranking along, the reality is in that moment they struggle with covetousness. They struggle with aligning that success with the word of God. There's this, there's this covetousness, and the Bible says the solution is contentment. So what is contentment? Let me throw this up. Contentment is found in simply realizing that God has already provided everything we need for our present joy. Let that sink in for a moment. You say, where, where does contentment come from? It, it comes in, in realizing that God has already provided everything we need for our present joy. Your hope for contentment is not found in the fact that, well, God's going to eventually pull you through God's eventually going to let you win the lottery. God's eventually going to give you a million dollars. That's not our ultimate hope. Our ultimate hope is in the fact that God has already given us everything we need for our present joy in the person of Jesus. Um, I brought this up several years ago, I think maybe five or ten years ago, but I'm going I'm to show it again um, just because I think it gives us some perspective. Uh, some of you have seen the website. It's a website called the Global Rich List, the Global Rich List. On this particular website, what you can do is you can type in how much money you make, and it will show you what, where you are in the global economy, in the global population, what number you are of the richest people. It's really interesting. Go home, try it sometime, all right? It, this is interesting. I plugged some things in this week. So I, put, I just put in $4 a day. $4 a day. This is interesting to me. I think most of us who either get Social Security or maybe we have a job or, or maybe some retirement, most of us in some form or fashion, most of us would receive more than $4 a day. I, I would say, generally speaking in this group, most of us are getting more than $4 a day. But I plug this in, $4 a day. Notice what it does. If you make $4 a day, you are in the top 50% richest people in the world by income. at $4 a day. <laughs> that means if you make $4 a day, there's more people who are poorer than you than are richer than you. Hmm. You say, well, okay, we're in America. This is, you know, we're not talking globally. We're talking, you know, I have 7 billion people. That's a lot of people. This is, this is California and the economy's different here and there's some different struggles. Uh, so let's put this in. According to the U.S. government, according to the U.S. government, 
if you only receive um, what the government would say is poverty level income. Basically, you're like, you know, you're on welfare, okay? Poverty level in America. You're in the top 3% richest people in the world. If you're on welfare in America. Meaning you are richer than 7 billion people on the planet if you are living at what U.S. government says is poverty. You say, why are you saying this? I'm just trying to give us some perspective for a moment. Let's try this. 93722, where a lot of us live in Fresno, California. 93722, if you take the average median income for this side of Fresno, two people making $20,000 for a household income of right around 40, you're in the top half percent in the world. Just let it sink in for a moment. We're all marching around. Oh, those one percenters, ah, 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 one percenters. Can I just say this? You're in the one (laughs) percent. Say, why do you say that? Because sometimes if we're not careful as Christians, we're like, well, I could be content if I just had this. And I could be content if I just had that. Huh. Rick Grover in his book had this to say. Americans make up 5% of the world's population, but consumes over 60% of the world's goods. We as Americans are consumers. And unfortunately... What's at the root of a lot of that is covetousness. It is discontentment and greed. And there's nothing wrong with having a nice house and nothing wrong with having a nice car and there's nothing wrong with having, being able to go on a vacation. I am not trying to make you feel bad. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that in the midst of wherever we find ourselves in this moment, you can be content. If those of us in the top 2% can't be content, then who can? It was Jeremiah Burroughs. He was an old Puritan preacher. Kind of, just, the Puritans were just kind of, they, they just kind of hit things right on the nose. Here's what, he, here's what he had to say a couple hundred years ago. He said, what a foolish thing it is Jeremiah, what do you say is foolish? He said, what a, what a foolish thing it is because one does not possess what they want so that they will not enjoy what they have. He said, that's a little foolish. Because we do not have what we want, we do not enjoy what we have. There is a great deal of folly in the discontented heart. Hmm. Beware of covetousness. Why? It'll bite. It bites. It bites our relationships. It bites our finances. It bites. First Timothy chapter number six, verse six says this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. 
God's saying, if you have Jesus, if you have the, the, the righteousness of Christ, if you have his godliness placed onto your account and contentment, he says, you have gained much. He goes on to say in verse 8, and now having food and raiment, that's clothes, let us be content. Now, this is not, this is not me saying this, okay? But I, I want to remind us of something. According to the creator of the universe, the one who designed your psyche, the one who designed your soul, the one who knows how you work better than you do, says this. The God of the universe says you can be satisfied and you can be happy and you can be at contentment and you can be fulfilled if all you have in the material, physical world is food and clothes. God says, I've designed you in such a way that if you have those two things, your soul can be satisfied. Now, I realize we live in a first world country and there's a lot of things that make our lives really convenient. You're like, I don't know if I could live without a car and I don't know if I could live without, you know, uh, you know that whatever, you know, cell phone or whatever the case may be. But the reality is God says, I designed you, I created you, and here's what I know about your soul. Here's what I know about your psyche, that it's possible for you to be content and happy with some food that day and some clothes on your back. That's how I created you. That's how I've designed you. You say, well, is there anything wrong with having more? No. In fact, the Bible says God's given us all things richly to enjoy. There is nothing wrong with having more than food and raiment. But we want to be careful that we do not begin to have a heart posture that says, I need that promotion. I need that much money. I need those things in my house. I need that type of car. Or I just can't be satisfied anymore. I just can't be happy. I just, I, I just don't feel right. That's the danger. And that's what we've got to be on guard of. You see, we have everything we need to be content in his will. See, I, I like to say it this way. Let's see if you can see if this resonates with you. You see, we want God to enhance our conditions, don't we? I mean, I, this, I'm just speaking about me, and maybe I'm the only one. We want God to enhance the conditions of our furnishings. We want God to enhance the conditions of our house. We want God to enhance the condition of our vacation. We want God to enhance our conditions. But I'll say this. God often wants to enhance our contentment. See, maybe, maybe we can say it this way. We wish God would bless us so we could be content. That's, that's my rationing anyway. That's what I tell myself. God, if you'll just bless me, I'll be content. Bless me with more money. Bless me with more house. Bless me with cooler cars. Bless, God, bless me more and I'll be content. And, and, and maybe God is saying, God is waiting us for, for us to learn to be content so that he can bless us. As he that's faithful in that which is little is faithful in all, also that which is much. So here, here's the question then. How do we become content? Because I'm going to be honest, this is something I even struggle with. There's always this something, oh man, if, I, if the church would just be a little bit more like this, or if, if those families would just be a little bit more like this, or if my wife would be a little bit more like this, or if I, could, if I just had just a little bit more money, this, and there's nothing intrinsically wrong with on the in the physical realm, trying to push forward, as long as we're doing it in a way that aligns with God's will. 
And then along, it's in line with what God says about wisdom and stewardship and what God says about radical sacrificial generosity. If, if, God, if God blesses us with those things within those boundaries, congratulations. And if he doesn't, you can still be at peace. You can still be content. But how? How? This is great. The answer to that question is found in our text. Now, so the Paul is saying, he says, I know how to be a base. I know how to abound. He says, he says, these are things I had to learn to be content. But then in verse number 13, he gives us the answer of how to be content. He says this. He says, why? Because I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ. Now, how many of you have ever seen this verse on your Facebook feed? You're scrolling through Facebook and you see this verse. Usually, this verse is like, it's some guy, and he's climbing El Capitan. He's hanging, you know, from a cliff, trying to climb this, and the verse says, I can do all things through Christ, you know? Or, or maybe you see this basketball player, and, you know, he's kind of soaring through the air, about to dunk, and the word, I can do all things through Christ. And, and that, there's probably some application there, but let me give you the exact application. You know the exact application of this verse? You feel like, I can't be content with where I'm at. I can't be content in this job. I can't be content in this financial position. I can't be content with where God's placed me and as I'm being obeyed. I can't be content. And this verse says, wait, you can do all things through Christ because Christ is enough. My friends, earthly things will never quench a heavenly thirst or feed a holy hunger. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus. Hebrews chapter number 13, verse 5 is really interesting. It says, let your lifestyle, your conversations, this, the, the way you live, notice this, let your lifestyle, your conversation be without covetousness. Let this sink in. Hey, live in a way that's not covetous, that's not greedy. That isn't telling yourself, I need more of this and more of that. No, let your lifestyle be without covetousness. Notice this. And be content with such things as ye have. From your heart, be content with where you are financially. If you don't have as nice of things in your house as somebody else has at this moment in time, you can rest and you can breathe. It's going to be okay. If, if your spouse is, is not quite like that person or the other can be content. Why? Let your, why, why, why can we be content with such things as we have? For he hath said, here's the promise, here's, here's why, because Jesus says, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. What? The scriptures are saying, hey, here's why you can be content. Not because you're going to win the lottery. Not because your boss is going to give you a promotion. Not because eventually you'll make more money or you'll have a, you know, nicer spouse. Here, here's what God says. The reason you can be content is because I am with you and I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And that is our hope for contentment. That is our hope for satisfaction and that is our ultimate hope for fulfillment. Now, if you're sitting in here and you're like, what in the world are you talking about, pastor? then maybe you've never experienced all that God makes available to you through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, God wants you to enjoy Jesus so deeply. 
He wants you to be able to enjoy his presence so profoundly. I, please, if you get nothing else, and if nothing else I've said made sense, this is, this is the crux of it. That it is possible to enjoy the presence of Jesus and to experience him and to bask in all that he makes available to you in your soul. That even when you're in the depths of despair and even when you're sick and even when you're broke and even when you don't have any of the things that any of your friends have and you're like, God, what are you doing? God says, hey, I know, I know, I know it's hard. But he says, guess what? He says, I'm here. I'm here, and I'm never going to leave you, and I'm never going to forsake you. And in that reality, in that promise, you can be content. In that promise, you can have fullness of joy. In that promise, you can be satisfied. In that promise, you can be fulfilled. My friends, that's our ultimate hope as believers. that you're going to get the promotion and not that you're going to win the lottery and not that your business is going to go gangbusters. Your ultimate hope is that Jesus will never leave you and never forsake you and that Jesus who will never leave you and that Jesus who will never forsake you says this, says this, says I'm here, I'm for you and you can do all things through me. You can be content. You can be satisfied because Jesus is enough. I'll say it this way. Contentment is not found in knowing that the provision is sufficient. Let that sink in. Contentment is not found in knowing the provision's uh, 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 consistent or that it's sufficient. You might not have enough money in the bank to pay your bills. But that's not where your contentment's going to be found in. You might not have all the furniture you want in your house and you might not be driving the car that you would prefer and you might not have the house that your friend has. Can I say this? But contentment, a soul rest, a soul fulfillment, a soul satisfaction is not found in knowing that the provision is sufficient, but rather in knowing that the provider is sufficient. He is sufficient for your health deficiencies. He is sufficient for your relational woes. He is sufficient when your business is going bad. He is sufficient for when your spouse is not treating you the way you want. He is sufficient when your kids are not behaving. Not that the provision is sufficient, but that the Savior is sufficient. That's our hope. And that's what we must look to. And that's what we must cling to. Because all other ground is sinking sand. This is why celebrities will sometimes struggle. Like, and, and I'm just, maybe I'm weird, but this is the area where I do feel kind of bad for the super rich and the celebrities of our culture. Here's, here's why. Because us kind of normal folks, we have something that the celebrities don't have and we have something that the super rich don't have. You know what we have? <laughs> we have the hope if we just get a little bit more money, then we'll be satisfied. If we just could go on that vacation, we could have a little bit more contentment. And if we could just have the opportunities to do those things, then we could finally be satisfied. We have hope. Now, it might be unfounded hope, but it's hope. You know what the super rich and the celebrities of our culture, you know, they have all the money, they have all the opportunities, they have all the, they, they've had it all. But if they don't find Jesus, eventually it's all vain. And that's why, that's why so often we'll hear about these celebrities. All, marriage is always falling apart. 
man, committing suicide? You're like, why? I don't even understand that. Why would it, what a celebrity has everything, all the money, all the opportunities, all the experience. Why would they commit suicide? Because they have often learned something that we have not, and that is ultimately nothing in this world ultimately satisfies. Jesus and Jesus alone is what fills the void and the emptiness that our soul most desperately craves. And here's what I want to encourage you with. Dive deeper into him and his promises. If you're here today and you're like, I'm saved, but I, I don't, I'm not finding full satisfaction in my relationship with Jesus. I'm not finding full contentment in experiencing Jesus. Then that needs to be our goal and that needs to be our focus because that is the promise that your creator has given to you. And yes, work hard at your job. And you know what? Be wise with your finances. And if God gives you the ability to make some more money, make some more money. And if you can buy a nicer car within the context of God's will and get nicer furniture in the context of what God says to do, man, go do that. But be careful not to get covetous or greedy and start reaching after things in a way that is inconsistent with the way God's word would lead because it'll bite you. It'll bite. And that's our warning. Remember, beware of covetousness. Psalms 34 verse 10 gives, says, this, says this, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. That's your promise. Why? So here we'll end and we'll be done. This is my last statement, okay? Don't let the things you want in life make you forget the things you already have in Christ. Because that's what happens. We get distracted. We get preoccupied and we stop enjoying all the gifts that God has already given us because we're too busy focusing on what we want. Beware. It'll bite. And let's say, you know what? Like Paul says, God, in whatsoever state I am, whether I abound or whether I'm abased, God, I want you to know that you're enough for me and I am satisfied in you and you alone. Is, is that your heart cry? Are you satisfied with Jesus? Are you content in experiencing him? Are you fulfilled in his presence? That's your hope. That's your promise. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.